how easy it is to assume the worst about others. You know, I suppose that has really always been true in the course of human history, but it seems especially so in this particular time, perhaps uh, exacerbated by sound bites, social media, 24-7 news around the clock. This is the reality of the world in which we live today, and we have to work hard, really hard, to counter assuming the worst about others in our lives. The Supreme Court nomination process, which unfolded before us this past week, is a case in point. Luther's explanation to the Eighth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, well, that continues to be a necessary corrective as we are all tempted to assume the worst about other people. What Luther wrote nearly 500 years ago, it still rings true today. We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him or her, slander him or her, or hurt his or her reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. I still prefer the older version of Luther's explanation to this commandment, which I learned in confirmation, and it's parked up here, which closes with these beautiful words in which God calls us to put the best construction on everything. As we come up on midterm elections in about a month's time now, what an amazing thing it would be if political candidates would strive to do that very thing. Put the best construction on everything and thus put a damper on the contentious and divisive spirit in our nation. Where is all of this contention, all of this division taking us as a people? Unless we begin to live out and implement putting the best construction on everything, both in our personal as well as in our collective lives, we expand and enlarge the already massive chasms that separate us from one another. Unless we begin to put the best construction on everything, we come to see those who disagree with us as not just having a different viewpoint, but as being evil incarnate. Unless we begin to put the best construction on everything, we may well find ourselves at cross purposes with God. And that is what we find in both Old Testament lesson and gospel lesson for today. Both Moses as well as the Lord Jesus are called upon to make a for or against decision. And both Moses and the Lord Jesus respond with surprising and grace-filled responses. And that becomes the theme for preaching this day, for or against. 
May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. Moses, well, he is at a critical crossroads in that Old Testament lesson for today. Do you know how long it took me to find an image of Moses that was not Charleston Heston? It's amazing. Uh, it always takes longer to find the appropriate slide than it does actually to compose the sermon. At least I find that in my experience. So Moses, having led the Hebrew people out of Egypt, those same people now, all they can think about is going back there because of the food. Never mind the fact that they were slaves there. All they can see is what they do not have, and what they do have is this miserable manna. Wow. Talk about a bunch of ungrateful people. God was displeased, and so was Moses. It's all too much, all of this whining and complaining. It wasn't in Moses' job description. He didn't sign up for all this nonsense. And so he asked God just to cut to the chase and get it over with now. If you're going to kill me, just do it here and now. Get it over with. And from this terrible state of affairs, the Lord God did a new thing to redeem that situation from complete destruction. Taking a portion of the spirit that was on Moses himself, God then placed that same spirit upon all of these 70 elders who would now share with Moses the burden of leadership over the people. But as we all know, there are people who never quite got the memo, right? They didn't read their email, and they didn't show up where they were supposed to show up. Eldad and Medad, that's them, who didn't show up, who didn't read the email, who didn't get the memo. And uh, they remained inside the camp instead of being out with Moses and the elders at the tent of meeting at the tabernacle. And yet, there they are prophesying because the Spirit had somehow, some way been given to them as well. What? How can this be? It goes against all of the rules. There's been a violation of protocol. You can hear klaxons and sirens going off in people's heads. Are these two, Eldad and Medad, are they for or against? Moses and the Lord. Even Joshua, who would become Moses' successor as leader of the people, calls on Moses to rein in these troublemakers. My Lord Moses, stop them, he says. But Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And did not this very thing come to pass when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost? 
It is that same Spirit who's given to us in holy baptism, just as that Spirit was given to Azariah this morning, a portion of that Spirit richly and graciously bestowed on us. It is that same Spirit who then teaches us that there is a wideness in the kingdom of God that transcends the sometimes narrow definitions of what is and what is not permissible. The walls, the barriers which we are always prone to erect come crashing down when the Spirit of God blows over them. Well, fast forward now to the gospel lesson for today. Same scenario unfolds here as John relates to Jesus. Teacher, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he was not following us. Hmm. The concern was for proper authorization and endorsement. Approval and consent had not been given. Necessary paperwork lightly had not been filled out. The man had no credentials. And like Moses now, Jesus goes in a direction that John was not expecting and maybe we're not expecting either. Don't stop him, Jesus says. Don't stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So Jesus here is making clear that the mentality of us versus them must give way to a larger vision of the kingdom of God, a kingdom in which control and power must give way to sacrifice and servanthood. The kingdom of God which centers on the person and work of Jesus is an upside-down kingdom that runs counter to the way of the world the kingdom of God is where the last shall be first, where the mighty are brought low, where the hungry are filled with good things, where the rich are sent away empty. And all of this is made so through the King of kings and Lord of lords who came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for us all. This is Jesus who loves us, who laid down his life on the cross for us, whose blood is the atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. Jesus now calls us to see all of life through the lens of his redeeming love ourselves, our time, our possessions, how will we use these things to show forth the light and love of Jesus? Will they be for 
or against Jesus. You see, ourselves, our time, and our possessions, all of these things will likely need to be realigned under Jesus. Because with Jesus at the helm of our lives, we'll see these things differently than we used to. With Jesus at the helm, our desire will be to please him in what we think and in what we say and in what we do through the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in us through God's gift of word and holy baptism and the Lord's Supper, the means of grace. So Jesus talks about some radical, some rather scary stuff in today's gospel lesson. What does this mean? Are we literally to sever members of our body that cause offense? No. But Jesus is telling us that there are things in our lives that will likely need to be discarded and tossed aside for the sake of his kingdom. Some of these things, yes, may indeed involve costly sacrifice, and we may balk at that. But whatever we may give up for the sake of Jesus, that's nothing compared to what Jesus has given up for us. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And this is what Jesus calls you and me. He calls all of us, even as he calls Azariah at his baptism. He calls us to be this in the world, salt which seasons and flavors and light which illuminates. Without Jesus, our lives very quickly become preoccupied and self-absorbed. We become bland and tasteless. Without Jesus in our lives, instead of shedding the light and love of Christ, we become darkened in the futility of our own minds. Jesus tells us salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. In this time when there seems to be so much for or against that we are dealing with, let us never lose sight of the fact of what Scripture tells us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely, graciously give us all things? This is the new life, the new freedom, to which the Lord God calls each one of us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. May God make it so for Jesus' sake.
Amen. And the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, your spirit, your soul, and your body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.